and welcome to the Friends Romans Iowans podcast. We are a young adult podcast produced by the Diocese of Des Moines and Iowa Catholic Radio. I'm your host, Alex Kautsky. And I'm your host, Maddie Maher. Thank you for joining us. We are a show dedicated to hosting tabletop conversations with Catholics around the diocese. Today, Father P.J. McManus from Christ the King Parish in Des Moines is joining us on the show. Father is the show's unofficial cultural critic. <laughs> Because he always has something to say about everything, and he always has correct opinions. So, Father, how are you today? You have a much higher opinion of my opinions than I do. <laughs> well, I'm well. How are you? We are doing well. Good. Yeah. We're excited to have you on. I know this is going to date the podcast because it's not going to come out today, but I realized this morning that we're Facebook friends because you have outdoor adoration. We do. We have outdoor adoration parish. going on all day. So we're recording this on uh, the 24th of September, which is the last... Thursday of September, and Father John Ricardo, who's of course known to very many of us, uh, is a uh, has a called for a return to a fast that was originally uh, originally originally asked for by President Lincoln during the Civil War. Oh, um, really? And so, so this is a, a national day of fasting and prayer, and the way we at Christ the King chose to to participate in it was to move adoration. We have perpetual adoration at the parish, uh-huh. but to move it out from the chapel outside. We've done this the last few First Fridays so that people who um, aren't comfortable yet coming inside mm-hmm. uh, are able to, to get to adoration. And so we have the grotto lovely prepared and out, mm-hmm. and I was out there the better part of the morning, and uh, we've probably had 45 or 50 people through already. So Really? It's very cool. I was really struck by it. I was scrolling this morning, as one does, and I stopped on the picture and it looked gorgeous. So kudos to you for doing that. Are you still doing daily mass in the grotto as well? Mass every day, 8.30 and 5.30. Uh, the 5.30 mass is outside in the grotto. Um, and confessions afterwards, always till seven, oftentimes till eight thirty or nine. Oh, gosh, so that, it's a phenomenal. It's that a marathon, was the first mass I got to go back to after they were lifted again. Was your outdoor grotto mass, and it was very lovely. I'm gonna have to go. It's, it's a good time. It's far from it's my a house, very good time. It. It's worth it. So Maddie and I have been fighting all day because we've been talking about Netflix and whether or not we're morally. Mm-hmm. Uh, called to boycott, mm-hmm. so mostly in the context of the Cuties film that came out. So I think we mostly agree. We just kind of disagree. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, if you have anything to say about that. So I think the question of whether or not uh, a given film is um, ethical or moral or not, and then whether or not the distributor uh, is to be boycotted are really kind of different moral questions. Um so, because uh, corporations do things that are wicked all the time, and you're not mm-hmm. always immediately obligated to boycott them. Um, and it creates uh, one feature of, of sort of the moral calculus that has to get used really differs for different people. So, like, one thing that would be important here, are you've just named me a cultural critic. So do I have yeah. to watch things now that may be inadvertently uh, supporting a, a corporation that does something else that's wicked, but I have to do it for the sake of the critique that I'm supposed to offer of, of the, the corporation, That's right? A personal so, it, so it creates a really difficult <laughs> kind of a, a problem. Um, you know, I, I, I think the question, the, the fundamental question we always have to ask ourselves, right, which is the same thing that's going on right now with voting, the same thing that happens anytime we make um, sort of uh, decisions which involve the decisions of another, is um, are we formally cooperating with what the other person is doing? That is, do I intend the same thing by which the other person does? Or am I materially cooperating with it like that is they're doing a thing and i happen to be there and not stopping them or maybe even giving them material support but i'm intending a different 
end. Uh-huh. Um, and that, that matters a great deal, at least for you. Um, it might not matter for the other person very much, but it's going to matter for you and your soul. Interesting. I totally jumped into this. We never even talked about the topic, but it's just so front of mind with us with the the cuties controversy because Maddie and I have been fighting all day. But Maddie, what's the topic for today? The topic for today, we're going to talk about the new Down to Earth Mm -hmm. documentary that Zac Efron put on. Um, And it essentially is his goal of to get out of Hollywood and kind of discover the world Mm -hmm. in a new way. Um, I thought it was a very well done documentary. I mean, Zach's very goofy, very goofy, and the guy who he goes around with is, is even goofier, even yeah. goofier and kind of weird. But um, he was a what he's was a he health, guru health guru of sorts. I don't know. It's like Dylan or Dalton or something like that. I should uh, right yeah, now. I had the name, um, and I actually um, downloaded a sample of the book to try and figure out what he's trying to sell. Um, weird food is the short form. Of yes, that. he doesn't Superfoods. seem to eat anything that I would like to eat. You he, know, he he like refused to eat the bread. At, in the, well, he didn't refuse. He tried it, but he's like, I don't know. I haven't touched bread in a long time. Did you um? <laughs> did you watch the Sardinia episode? No, no. I didn't. Get so that. the Sardinia episode, which is really really interesting. Um, uh, so Sardinia is this island off the coast of Italy where it has this huge number of uh, uh, people over a hundred. I did watch this episode. It was intriguing, wasn't it? Yeah. Their response to him was the best. Right? They're like, uh-huh. <laughs> they don't know what to do. There's all this pasta. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I can't eat which anything on the island. <laughs> yeah, it, I it's felt just... like it blew up his superfoods argument because they're just eating a bunch of delicious <laughs> pasta all the time and, and they stay alive forever. Men. Never right. die. Yeah, which I don't think I could do that here. I don't know what they're doing over there. It's something <laughs> in the water. So, Father, what did you think about Down to Earth with Zac Efron? You know, it was a uh, it, it it was a delightful waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was. I I I, I enjoyed every episode. Um, I watched. Uh, I, I wound up getting sick, which was convenient. I was only going to watch two or three episodes and then try and give you a sort of a synopsis there, but I wound up seeing the whole thing. Um, and I was, uh, I was intrigued both by the places they chose to go and what it was they seemed to be trying to find as they encountered food and water and energy in these different places. I think I might take a vacation to Iceland now. That, that was totally <laughs> I recommend it. it. I went a couple of years ago and it's awesome. Yeah, that, 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 that's totally down. I want to, I want to eat bread baked in the ground. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the water episode in particular was fascinating not only because uh, sort of the Lord's angle, which of course is meaningful for us, um, but uh, but the way they talked about kind of the the primal quality of water, mm-hmm. how how essential water is, not just as a matter of fact, but as sort of a matter of heart mm-hmm. for people throughout the world, and the way in which, of course, that touches very deeply on us and our faith because of the the kind of primary role that water has. Mm-hmm. Yeah the the water episode was. I think probably the one we wanted to talk about the most, um, mainly because of the Lord's aspect. But it does seem that they were kind of implying that water has a spiritual aspect even outside of a religious one. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that we would, like, get behind, kind of that? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the the, the, uh, the, the church takes that's, that which is good and true in every tradition, right, mm-hmm. and, and, and keeps it because it's good and true. Um, and so— the fact that um, Zach and the writers of the show or whoever are able to look at this and go, you know, this what what's happening at Lourdes and 
other sort of water shrines, you could probably make the same kind of claim at the Ganges or something, right? Um, is tapping into a kind of primal intuition that human beings have about water. That's certainly true. It's just also true from our perspective that God does real stuff with water. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it, it's along the lines of what um, Tolkien and Lewis called true myth. It doesn't stop being mythological when it uses the kind of tropes that fit for myth, but it also happens to be a fact. And so, so, so water is this evocative natural symbol, but it also accomplishes real effects as a sacramental sign. Okay. I want to go more into that. I've always been really fascinated by the idea of water. I know that the Lord does some of his best work by the water's edge, and maybe that is because of, I guess, the reasons you just said. There's some sort of primal thing there. But I think of the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters of the deep, and water is said 722 times in the Bible. So I need to know, like, what is the connection there for us and I know the connection to in terms of sacrament, but like what what is it about water? What's for the us deal with water? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what is water? <laughs> what is water? Um, so I I think part of what I mean the the basic thing, which is what they do in sort of the intro to the water episode, right? Is mm-hmm. water covers most of the Earth's surface. Our bodies are constituted mostly of water, at least under some description. You know, you can go a very long time without food. You can go a very short time without water. So so water is just sort of basic to what sort of makes uh, living things in our, in, on our planet work. Um, I think in the, the spiritual tradition, um, you know, the, 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 the two dominant, there are other secondary, but the two kind of dominant images or uses of water involve both drinking. So everything, everybody gets thirsty and, and water slakes thirst and then uh, cleansing, right? Um, cleaning stuff. Um, but but there are other uses of water which are equally important. Um, you know the 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 waters, uh, the 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 spirit hovering over the waters in the deep at the beginning, are intended to be um, sort of scary, right? The the deep is a scary thing. The the Jews were not mostly a seafaring people. They had seas which were kind of like big lakes, but mm-hmm. they weren't they weren't like the Greeks who very comfortably had navies. Like there was no Israeli navy in the first century, yeah. and so. And so the water was also a scary place. And, and you know, um, in the apocalyptic literature of the Bible, Leviathan lives in the water. The great sea monsters live in the water. There's something scary and terrifying about water. And we see this even in the New Testament, right? They're on the boat and the storm comes up and they freak out because people die when you go down in the water. Um, and even in, in the sacrament of baptism, um, as it develops in the church, um, the, the accent we're most comfortable with is uh, is on cleansing, so that the sign is of the water cleansing the body, which which affects the cleansing of sin from the soul. But there's also a ritual death aspect. Like we don't usually tell parents that we're ritually drowning their children when we dunk them, but that is more or less what's happening, and it's important, right? Because the language that Saint Paul uses to really tease out the meaning behind baptism is that if we have died with him in baptism, we should rise with him to glory, and so you have. Ancient baptismal fonts, none of them are, look like they're created deliberately to, like, hold people down and make them choke or something. But um, <laughs> but that they do have this sort of um, dual significance, right? And that, and that they're often, you know, they're steps down into and then steps back out of um, uh, to, to indicate that. There's also um, a very literal primal uh, attachment here in that um, uh, the womb, of course, is a place of water. And, and children are born, uh, we're, we're born anew out of the font. The language of the font is all about motherhood. 
and so uh, and so and so there's 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 a sense of water there being born again of water and the spirit. Well, and at um, at Lords, I wish they would have gone more into the processing of the water, not processing of the water, but what you do with the water in Lords. You know, in the healing baths, right. have both of you. Have, I, have you been to, mm. to Lords? I have not been to Lords. I have Lourdes. a daughter named Bernadette, but I have not been to Lords. <laughs> you might want to fix that. Yeah, I know. It's a, you it should go. It's a um, but the the process of in Lords when you go into those healing baths, it is it's kind of terrifying. Um, the the person who told me about them, I thought I was like almost going into like die. And that mm-hmm. it was a very terrifying way she described them. She's like, you get shoved into the water and pulled out and shoved back in. It wasn't that bad. It was more peaceful. But you are underwater and you kind of have to like catch your breath because it's so cold yeah. that you do feel this momentarily sense of panic. And then peace kind of comes over okay. after that. Mm-hmm. As someone who hasn't been, I need you to describe the process describe better it. to me. So tell they, us, they, they like. are like shoving you underwater and stuff. So, yeah, you go into this <laughs> and you're like, wow, that's really peaceful. You go, you stand in line <laughs> for a long time and then you go into this room and there are these adorable nuns. In there, I know that they at have least like on a, the woman's side. I don't right. know what thousands the of volunteers side. there too. Yeah, yeah, for this specific. Purpose, yeah, so there right? are nuns there, and they were so sweet, and that kind of calmed my my nerves. But you have to walk into a tub, and you go to the end where there's a crucifix, and you kiss the crucifix, and then you completely emerge into the water, and then they bring you back up. And she told me it would only happen once, but I don't know if there just weren't a lot of people. Because she dunked me three times into the water. Um, Clarifying question. Are you wearing your, like, street clothes? You're in a tub, like a towel. Towel. They, like, give you a bathrobe. Okay. Um, And then you come out of the water, and they kind of pray with you a little bit, and then you leave. What's the room look like? Like, is it a bathroom? It looks like a bathhouse type of (laughs) bathhouse. There's, like, people around doing it. Well, they're all, yeah, yeah, they're all, like, sectioned off. So you're in your own specific little section. Interesting. Yeah. What is I, I have you done that before? I've well? not done what, what she did? did, but um, what's the? What I'm the just question? curious about like so you do this, mm-hmm. and what's like the processing that happens after that? Like, what do you? And what's you, next? You just leave after that. I mean, it's kind of a healing. So people do it when they're sick. They yeah. go into the waters and then and then you, you go and pray pray and... for healing and yeah. What was your? So you know, you... if you recall, this this is helpful, right? Because yeah. this is drawing. Not only on the the events of Lourdes and Saint Bernadette and uh-huh. that whole bit, on a very very ancient tradition, right? So the pool at Siloam did the same thing. Mm-hmm. The water would be troubled, and then that's when you'd have to get into the water because that's when it that's when it would heal people, and that's why the the, the poor cripple next to the the right. pool can't get in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so this notion that there that that um, that water itself heals, that healing baths work. Um, my dad uh, talks about having visited. Uh, it's not the Dead Sea because he hasn't been to the Holy Land. Maybe it was Salt Lake. Yeah, it was. He went to he went to Salt Lake as a teenager. Uh, we're Irish, so we all have terrible skin. Um, <laughs> but the the, yeah. the 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 best experience of skin that he had was right after being I've in Salt Lake. Done the Dead Sea, and I can personally attest to that. It was insane how nice it felt. <laughs> so see, there's there's the, 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 so there's a natural intuition, which then the spiritual realities are sort of working with and playing upon to make things present to us. And I think, um, uh, you know, when people um, go to Lourdes and experiencing the healing power of the waters there, that's really what's going on is it's not we, – we, we, we try and pit nature sometimes against grace or against supernature when in fact they're wed, right? Grace works on nature, not over and against it. And so 
And so it's it's precisely because water is already this sort of naturally affecting substance that it's capable of carrying grace in the way that it does in the sacraments and prayer of the church. So the Holy Spirit just uses water as a means to distribute grace. Right. Okay. That's exactly right. And of course, and of course the Holy Spirit, like it's not, that's not accidental, right? Like water was also therefore created ultimately for the purpose of helping to confer uh, grace. See, that's my question is when you say that there's like this primal thing about water, I think of, <laughs> this is going to sound really basic, but I think of some of the best days of my life have been out on the water. Mm-hmm. And is, I, I guess my curiosity there is, am I, is it a primal thing because we all need water and and maybe it's brought up so many times in the Bible because it was the Israel's a borderline desert or is it because we're picking up on as humans the spiritual benefit and healing capacity of water? I think it's probably both. Probably both. Yeah, and, 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 and the 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 latter's only possible because of the former. Um, you know, if 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 you look at all of those times water gets mentioned throughout the scriptures, right? Um, You've got, you've got, you know, Abraham's sojourn in the actual desert and the trouble that happens when they can't find water. Like, that's part of the issue. You've got Moses, who first leads the people through water. But then once they get to the other side, the first thing he has to do is find them water to drink because they can't drink the water that's in the sea. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the problem is, right, he hits it twice to get the water, which is precisely what gets him into trouble. At the end of the same journey, we often miss this one. We always remember the the passage through the Red Sea, but we forget what happens at the other end when Joshua has to lead them through the waters of the Jordan. And that's why Christ's baptism in the Jordan is so important. They those waters matter. It's those waters that lead you to the promised land. And so 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 going passing through water, which is essentially what happens when your body cleaves water when you bathe, but then also needing the water to drink are kind of the two most basic relationships that we've got to the stuff. And so then that gets used over and over and over again. I will, I, I will give you streams of living water um, and then you'll never be thirsty again. Um, and then of course the vision of, uh, of the temple in heaven, right? I saw water flowing from the right side of the temple and from it, all the plants came, which had leaves, which would heal and fruit, which would say, so you've got over and over and over again, sort of the power of water. Mm, interesting. Have you ever been to the Holy Land? I'm not. I went in college, and one of the things that really struck me was just how beautiful the Sea of Galilee was and how Jesus, I think of like the happy times, mm-hmm. were just spent on the water's edge with the people that he loved and that he left that beautiful area to Jerusalem to go there and finish it. And I just It always struck me just this, even just the the land, how beautiful it was where he grew up and where he spent his time and then how desertous it was where he left to die. And anyways, it, it just, I voice that, well, Jesus must have loved being by the water as well. Right. Yeah. Where, where's some of the water that you spent time on? Um, I'm from Montana. Mm-hmm. So we have Alpine lakes there and like the Sealy Swan is where I worked in college and it's all on water. And Maddie, do you have a, a particular relationship to bodies of water? Um, I like it. Uh, Briggs Lake in Minnesota. That's where my grandparents had a cabin. And yeah, we'd spent lots of time up there. And um, the ocean was always my favorite vacationing spot. So yeah, I'm a big fan of the water. So I grew up here in, De- <laughs> in Des Moines. Um, and I didn't really, I mean, I certainly visited lakes and, you know, would boat sometimes and that kind of thing growing up. But the, my first real experience of living near water was in Dubuque. And I spent a good deal of my adult life 
living in either Dubuque or St. Louis. And as a result, I've come to have a real appreciation for rivers. Um, and, of course, rivers function differently than lakes. They, they, they're, they're natural borders, and they, um, and they run, which at times can be scary, right? You see the locks and the dams open on the river. That, there's, a, there's great power there, right, mm-hmm. which is evident. But um, the thing that strikes me about rivers, especially when you live on them, like when you live in a river town, is that the rivers create a kind of psychological boundary that is very, very difficult for people to, to, to overcome. So when I taught at Aquinas in St. Louis, or when I was a student there, for that matter, we had lots of staff and faculty that lived on the other side of the river. So, so the, the Mississippi cuts... Uh, Missouri and Illinois in half there, right? And um, and there were a lot of people that lived not in East St. Louis, but a little further on in one of the sort of the suburbs. Um, and they, they, once they would go home at night, like crossing the river was this impenetrable boundary. Once they had crossed, they would not come back at night. It was like murder to get people mm-hmm. to come back for like a cocktail party or a benefit or something like that. Yeah, once they Once they went home, because the river – and what was crazy about it was, it was with modern highways, like you could probably get there faster than you could to the suburbs or something, right? But 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 still, the, the, the psychological power of crossing that great body of running That's water was such that you, you, you couldn't get past the psychic block. That's wow. interesting. I think of uh, – <laughs> this is a young adult podcast, so I feel like I can say this, but we went to college in Atchison, Kansas, mm-hmm. and the liquor store was across the river. Across the river. And whenever we went there, and it felt like we had just, like, traveled, <laughs> and we were, like, we had to leave town to go there, but it was really, like, 30 seconds away. So I, that's really interesting. One of the things we used to do, so, you know, people are always confessing to me. I can confess a little on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was a student at Laura's, um, of course, the river created the difference between Iowa and uh, Illinois. Um, and uh, the, you could get double uh, can redemption by crossing the river. So we'd yeah. buy cans in one state and then go to the other and get an extra nickel out of it. Um, uh, but um, but even there, like the fact that the laws are different when yeah. you cross the river, like there's there's it's not it is a psychological thing, but it's not only a psychological thing. There are real consequences or real effects to crossing the river. Yeah, I always appreciated rivers when I was traveling in Europe because I could find the middle of a city for the most part. Yeah, and that's I, right. I could really, you know, if I was lost, I'd just be lost in river. Paris. I was like, well, if I just find the river, then I can make my way back to where I'm supposed to be. So I have a good appreciation for those. So what you're saying is my obsession with water is not a weird thing. <laughs> oh, it might be a little bit weird, but it's totally natural. Okay. It's a totally it's natural normal. thing. I just don't like to drink it. Okay. Uh, so in relation to Zac Efron in, in, in this episode, I thought it was, okay, I, twofold. I thought he did a really nice job with Lords. I thought for anyone Except listening. for the Italian guy. You have to watch this episode. That, that is that. Funny. It was funny. They, they upset an Italian man, which is just like the most Italian thing that I've ever seen on TV, and I really enjoyed it. Um, but I think that in general they're very respectful, but I do love just like the relativistic spin that Zach puts on everything, especially with prayer. He says, if you pray and it makes you feel good, then who cares? And I thought, well, if, if you pray and there's a God, then it really does have an impact. Matters, right? And yeah. then someone does care. So what was your thought and just in general how it was filmed and, and how you felt they did Lord's justice? So I, I think they did as good a job as probably can be done running from the sort of uh, standard 
secular materialistic kind of perspective that you can. And Zach at times brushed up against something even a little bit stronger than that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but it, obviously they don't want to commit to anything on air. And I get that. You know, you want to, they, they want as big an audience. As I thought can. it was interesting because mostly it was his voiceover editing that and aired so relativistic. It was almost like they went back and had to soften I, his experience. I, I think that's exactly what happened because yeah. there were moments, especially the night of the vigil where he clearly was, he was emotional. He was in he a moved. different place. Yeah. And so, um, I think, uh, I, I, I think the the place where it, it kind of fell down, if if we critique it in that way, um, was that the the act of praying, um, the the way you just articulated it, the act of praying becomes simply um, some sort of alternative form of self help or something, right? Um, and the problem is the way we usually frame this for people. I had to do this with the kids this morning before adoration. Um, the way we usually frame this for people is either prayer is like Christian magic or prayer is some sort of weird self-satisfactory internal process. And, of course, the tradition's going to press against that and say, well, it's neither. Uh, both have something important to say. It is true that prayer has real effects, so in that way it can look like magic, I suppose. It is also true that it has a real effect on the prayer. So there is a, a, a the self is changed in the act. But um, I, I turn back to St. Thomas here, who's really playing on Augustine and Gregory, where he says, it's not, we don't pray so much to change God's mind, nor simply to change ourselves, though that will happen, but rather we pray that we might receive from God those good things which God already longs to give but receive them now as the fruit of our prayer. That's a lot. So I was like, I right. explain it to me like can, I was a child from down? this morning. <laughs> so here's, here's the example. When I preach on this, this is what I use. My niece, who is now slightly older, so I have to be careful how I uh, tell this one, but my niece, when she was younger, loves to help in the kitchen. And she was, at an earlier age, very unhelpful in the kitchen. So I would be disinclined to have her help because it would make things take longer and be messier and often not turn out as well and all the things, right? And yet, those times that I was generous enough to let her play with me in the kitchen, even if the meal didn't look as good or, like, taste test-wise, taste as good, the meal was better because she had a stake in it in a way she didn't before. And so what happens with prayer, it isn't like, you know, God... God's got a real weak ego and he's willing to heal granny if you pray, but not if you don't. Yeah. It's that God wants to do all these things. And as we pray, he accomplishes them and we have a share. Now we have a stake in the good thing, which has taken place that we wouldn't have if we hadn't mm. prayed. The place where we can see this, I think most keenly is in the celebration of the sacraments themselves. God could have chosen to save us in any number of ways. He could choose to make himself present to us in any number of ways. But he's chosen to make himself present in the Blessed Sacrament in a most acute, substantial, tangible way as the fruit of a prayer. Mm. The priest and the people coming together to pray the Mass, God comes in answer to our prayer, not just because of magic words. The words are important. The words yeah. constitute the substance of the prayer. But but it, but but it's it's an answer to prayer that this happens. The power of baptism, right? Um, and and the church's insistence that even a pagan can can rightly baptize if they mean to do it the right way is that even the prayers of the pagans can be fruitful. 
and fruitful to salvation. <laughs> but look at that. That's a, that's a powerful thing there. And, and so it does accomplish real effects, and it accomplishes real effects now not only by the power of God's grace, though entirely dependent on that, but also as genuinely human actions too. Mm. Wow. In much the same way that the scriptures, right? So the scriptures are, are, are an acute example of this. So the scriptures are the fruit both of the action of the Holy Spirit and the individual human author that put down the words so that they're really, you know, Jonah's words and God's words. Um, and that's why the various books of the Bible, some are written better, some are written worse, some are really pretty, some are kind of clunky. And that's because God can work through clunky and pretty. Yeah. And that's good news for you and me mm-hmm. because uh, pretty and clunky. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So it's... Tell me if this is somewhat sums that up. I love the story of the cooking because I can yeah. really relate to that. But it's not that through prayer we're attempting to bend God's will, that through prayer we're able to unite our wills to his. Mm-hmm. And that not a bending of our wills, but in that we fully participate in God's plan for us in a way that we wouldn't without it. Right. So it's that, that latter part's really, really good. So we, we wind up participating in the plan in a way that we wouldn't otherwise. It is conforming our will to God. That's absolutely true. But w- when we press this too hard, the problem is, right, our only experience of will is of our own and other people's. So when we talk about God's will, we're talking about something that we don't experience quite like any other thing. And we often make it sound like God has a will that is rather immediately analogous to ours and works like ours. And so what we're really trying to do is just like divine what God wants for us and then do that thing. Um, and so I, you know, when people are doing discernment, I always hit this one, right? It's like divine algebra. Like you're solving for X, which is God's will. God's will does not seem to operate discreetly like that. God exists outside time, outside space. Whatever will is for God is a different kind of thing than it is for you and me. But when we say we're conforming ourselves to God's will, what that means is we're beginning to desire the things that God desires for us and disdain the things that God disdains, mm-hmm. um, which is different than like, God, shall I have Chinese or Mexican for lunch? Right? Yeah. But, 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 but as much more, I'm desiring the good in a way I wasn't desiring the good before. And so when we pray, when we participate better in God's will for us, it's not simply a matter of, of God working us from the inside out. That certainly happens. But it's of God's allowing us to work the out from the out. God's allowing us to participate in that which is external to us Uh in a way that by rights we really shouldn't or couldn't. Interesting. Oh, I really like that. I've never looked at it that way. I I have to like chew on that for a little while. It's a little bit much. No, it's really good. But I want to get – I have one more thought on this episode because when I – look at Lords and I already am a devout Catholic. Mm-hmm. When I hear about the 70 some people who mm-hmm. are confirmed miracles, it aids my faith that I already have. Mm-hmm. It makes me love being Catholic more, but I'm, I'm curious as to, I think that Zach Efron coming in and softening his experience is really interesting. Cause I think that if you don't have faith and experience like Lords, you can so easily write off as People, it's like a placebo effect almost. Mm-hmm. Do experiences like Lords, I guess real conversion can happen there, but I think more often than not, it aids those who have faith. And then I guess is Zach Efron going to become Catholic because he went to Lords? Um, I could. Yeah. Um, I think the issue is that whenever conversion happens, um, you know, we had St. Matthew's feast on Monday, and I, I, I um, 
Have you watched The Chosen yet at all? No, I don't. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know what you're yeah, talking so about. It's, it's this new it. Jesus series that's out. So they, they uh, Matthew plays an important kind of role in that. Um, they And they the way they are portraying him, and it, whenever you retell the gospel stories, you have to find a way to articulate stuff different. This is not a critique at all. But they, they have him um, seemingly as sort of on the autism spectrum. Um, so like the reason he's good at maths is because he's hmm. autistic. And, and, he's, and so he's sort of kind of off socially, which is... Why he why he's more comfortable working with the Romans rather than the Jews and all the things, but the the point that they get across well, I think, is we have the snapshot from his own account of his conversion in the gospel. Jesus comes to the customs post and says, "Come, follow me." But of course, what we don't know is like what he had for breakfast and what happened the night before and when his girlfriend left him and what happened to his dad and like all that stuff, right? <laughs> and so and so every time um, we hear about a conversion that looks immediate and rapid and all together and whatever, there's always backstory that's been filling in the person's head and heart. Again, nature uh, upon which the grace is there to work. And so, you know, if, if Zac Efron becomes Catholic and, and he attributes a large part of that to his experience at Lourdes, Lourdes is an important part of that story. Um, but High School Musical is also an important part of that story. Very important part and of the story. And mine too. <laughs> <laughs> Just weeping my senior year of call or of high, high school, school watching the third movie. <laughs> um, yeah, my question was: Is that called to the priesthood? And I, I mean, I think he is just based off of watching in there. You just want another what a waste, but um, <laughs> I would go to his mass. You would go to his mass. Yeah, that that would be really hard to manage as a diocese if you had Zach Efron, Efron as a priest. Yeah. yeah, that's true. We'd have to put him in a, a cloister monastery. Something. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Um, do you think it's good for lords to get this kind of public mm. thing? Yeah, every every time, and I th- I'm sure this is why the the board there allowed allowed him to come. Um, I think every time we can be uh, back present, sort of in people's mind's eye, even if the the portrayal isn't exactly what we do or how we'd understand things, um, it's it's good for us. I was watching. Um, I'm a big kind of true crime buff. And so I, I you know, Unsolved Mysteries, the the reboot came really out this solid. year. Yeah. And I've been watching some of the old ones and they did an episode on Lourdes. Um, and yeah. uh, and they, they, they did a fair number of Catholic-y things. Um, but uh, it's, again, even if they don't say things exactly the way that we would say them, it's good partly because it just keeps things in people's mind's eye, but also I think because it causes people to think about Christ, like whether they, like whether it's super conscious or not, like, it's floating around in my head now in a way that it wasn't before, and that's mm-hmm. never going to be a bad thing. Yeah. yeah, when the episode started and they had the confrontation with the Italian. You got nervous. Yeah, I, I got really nervous. I was like, oh, no, they're going to make Lords look so bad and so weird and just full of rude Italians. But, <laughs> which I'm sure which it, is. it is, that too. <laughs> but, so, but they redeemed it. The priest that they talked to there was really fantastic, mm-hmm. and I think they did a good job. Uh, going to the start of the episode, can we all agree that that water guy does not have a real job? Sommelier? No, he yeah. does not have a job. It's a pretty <laughs> outstanding suspenders, job. though. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you Google Zach Efron and water, the first thing that comes up is the sommelier. Oh, like, the Lord. He is now like like the this episode has ratcheted him to stardom in a way uh, that I you know I, I I am I'm kind of intrigued. By whatever that super special water was that was so mineralized that yeah. it, I mean, I'm sure it probably makes you sick. I think but you gotta go lick a rock or something. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think I want it. <laughs> yeah. So for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, they go to a sommelier of water and he has them try 
special waters, and one of them is one that no one else in the get. world has tried. And he explains why these waters are better for you, and it just seems kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's correct. It's I mean, they have more minerals, and that's you. You know, you should drink water with lots of minerals. It's good for you. But also, the way he made it sound is very silly. All right. Well, it was really good to have our culture critic on. It Thanks was good for to have coming on today. Yeah, you'll have to think about what you want to criticize next. Next. Yeah. yeah. We can take down all of Netflix. We can do it one by one. Yeah. Next week will be our call for everyone to cancel their Netflix. Cancel your Netflix. <laughs> Don't let the French ever make movies again. And then we'll be good. Beautiful. All right. Ladies, right. thank you very, very much. Yeah, thanks, you. Father. Um, we would love to have you all join in the conversation on our podcast. If you have any topics you would like us to address, guests you would love to hear from, or general questions and ideas, please email friendsromansions at gmail.com. Also, if you could subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play, and leave us a review, we would love to hear from you. Thanks, guys. Bye.